Um, we're looking at a doubling of wearable shipments in the next two years. So we're looking at like in the next five, five to six years, everyone's going to have a wearable. It's not going to be a question of access. They're going to be cheaper. They're going to be more potent. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, putting that to use for everyone. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today. I have George. He is the founder of Basis, a startup that automates healthcare planning uh, using data-driven, person-centered care approach that integrates effortless, effortlessly into our daily lives. Uh, his mission is to reduce friction ex and expenses while improving an individual's health results via an AI-assisted autonomous care model. Uh, George, thank you so much for being on with me today. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thanks yeah. So, you know, before we get going, before we talk, start talking more about uh, your goals with Basis and just really uh, wearables in, in general and the future of that, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and, and what gets you up in the morning? Sure. I, I've spent many years as an athlete. I spent years in the army. I spent years uh, building healthcare solutions. Um, I grew up in a in a healthcare environment, so I've I've been you know from from a very young age groomed to thinking about healthcare and health and wellness in in many different ways from many different angles. You know, in a way, I've grown in a privileged environment that I've had the chance to understand things from a very young age and understand how to make the the right decisions on a day by day basis. Uh, think long term, and as I got more and more into healthcare, I realized how many people um, end up having long term chronic health issues as a result of just not understanding how to make the right decisions, uh, not having like the right health literacy, not having the right access to, to understand how to plug the right things in their life. Like the friction that that's involved with health plan. Like it's, it's a hard thing when, when you've never been taught how to do those things. One of, one of the most formative experiences I had, I was working on a pacemaker about seven years ago and we were going around in, uh, in urge in, in clinics, uh, working with surgeons. And one of the surgeons, I remember this was in uh, UCLA Torrance hospital. Uh, he he told us that this week alone he had just he had finished 14 amputations. Wow! And amputations, you know, byproduct of obviously diabetes and you know re related diseases. Um, that was that was shocking to me, um, and and you know that that really made me think. Okay, like the, we really need to do a better job of helping people prevent getting to that point, right? Uh, that's really the biggest impact we can have, or at least I felt that I could have in this world. Um, and over the years. I also lost a few people, especially then I got more into, you know, the annual care, uh, the, the annual uh, checkup, right? Uh, I had two people in my life, uh, my stepdad and my father-in-law uh, passed away within a five-day span, um, wow. instant heart attacks, no, no, no saying goodbyes, nothing. They both had just finished doing an annual checkup. They were cleared as if there's nothing wrong, but clearly we know, you know, cardiovascular disease is a chronic condition. So 
those kind of things kept, you know, chipping, chipping away and, and making me more passionate about enabling people to control their day to day life, their lifestyle risk factors and understand how to live better, you know, increase, increase quality of life, increase uh, health span, ideally improve lifespan. That, uh, so that really excites me every day. So that's, that's really my, my most exciting thing. And as a, you know, as an extra bonus, I'm super excited about the potential to like, you know, improve and optimize our, our performance capabilities as humans. I think there's so much untapped potential um, because we're limited by just chronic illness and, and just not understanding our bodies at a biological level. Right. So not only is it, you know, needed and as the world is changing, these things are needed, but it's also, you know, personal for you because you, you have, you have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, exactly. Once you have the experience, it becomes personal. Like you, you have a, you have a, uh, vendetta against against <laughs> illnesses, right? Like you want to, um, you, you want to go after them. You want to, you want to try to solve it for other people. Uh, almost like getting back at you know the the people you lost. So absolutely, absolutely. So you know, with with everything that you're you're doing, what is what does seamless healthcare look like? I, I know you kind of talked about that before. What is when you say seamless? What does that look like or sound you know to you? Yeah, good question. So one of the things that if, if we look at the, the healthcare experience today, there's a big part of it is there's, let's say you go to the doctor, they identify you have high cholesterol, right? So the, the, the post-care directions would be start eating healthier, start improving your sleep, exercise more. But that, that gap, the undefined thing of exactly how to implement that in your life, what is a good exercise? How exactly do I eat healthy for multiple meals, right? Like all those micro decisions create so much friction and because they're not factoring in what what does your day look like like you know do you even have time to to spend to go and think of all of, of all your meals uh do you have time to go exercise do you understand what where to go exercise so all those micro decisions end up creating bad habits that end up getting people you know we have terrible readmission rates right like you know people people get out of uh surgery they get out of uh, um uh, doctors appointments and they end up going back to the hospital because they don't understand how to put these things in their day to day life uh, right. So seamlessness is the idea of reducing the friction points, uh, reducing all the um, all the terms and all the all all the indecision and all the difficult decisions that need to be made on a personal level every day, and just being presented with the right decisions for you for you every day. Right. That alone could have improved outcomes. You know. Sorry. Absolutely. You know, I had a conversation with um, the chief medical officer of uh, Withings. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of talking about, or she had, she has said a lot of some of the, the the pushback from providers when it comes to wearables or the information that they give is that it takes a little bit of that control away from the provider. Mm-hmm. But it, it sounds like, and just what I what I understand from what you're what you do, and you know, in wearables in general, it's not necessarily there to take away power, but to empower the provider and not into that in that patient you know what, what are your thoughts on uh where wearables what their role is within the healthcare system yeah i i i know the sentiment i think there's a couple of things that number one i want to say that my my team and i see user generated health data and that that is predominantly wearable data but there's other other forms of that we think that that's going to become the, the dominant, the primary source of how we make health and wellness decisions um, in the future. Like in a decade from now, I think predominantly we're going to be making decisions based on things that are real time, continuously uh, integrated with the, with the person's life. Uh, 
today it's you know EMR data, you know doctor visits. Right. You know, that's that's not dynamic. The reality is, you know, we have doctors that have to see six patients to make money, right? Like the the, the economics of that just don't make sense. If you have ten minutes to spend with a patient who's been waiting three four weeks to see you, um, clearly you don't have time between visit, right? To see um, what happened, what perspired, are people following up with these? So I think. Um, uh, there, there is a trust issue. I think as we bridge the trust issue, so and, and a big part of this is building good enough models that make sense of these wearable data and create things that a healthcare pr- practitioner can actually put in use, right? So I think as those things come into play, the integrity of the health data uh, is improved, the, you know, the battery life and all these things so that we have better kind of um, uh, user experiences, I think healthcare professionals will start embracing that and finding that not only is it helping them create better outcomes for their patients, um, but also it's actually going to become a good source of additional revenue. Like you have CPT codes now that, that, you know, enable remote monitoring visits based on alerts that they weren't making money before. Like all of a sudden you can spend five minutes as a follow-up because someone fell off the tracks, right. Or, or, or uh, something like that. So I think that, I think that the the economy, the multi-sided economy is going to come through over the next few years. Um, but of course, it's it's up to wearable technology con- to continue to improve. And Apple, Google, Samsung—they've all put it as a primary emphasis, as a as a big a big um, um, piece of a, a major category uh, focus. And um, you know, people like us trying to make sense of that data for people. Right, right, and and, and that brings up a good question. That's something we were kind of talking about before we start recording is making sense of the data, especially for those that may have a low health literacy or may not, may be getting so much information, they may not know how to, you know, break it down. You know, how, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And and what are some things that we can do to improve that through our wearables? So that's actually the number one piece of feedback we've received from over 500 user interviews. People say, you know, I, I see the data, like my, my whoop, my aura, um, my Fitbit has great data, but I don't really know what, it, what to do with this information. It's great that I see my sleep score, but great. How do I actually put that to improve? How do, how do I improve that? How do I put that in, into using my day-to-day life? There's things that you and I may take for granted that what resting heart rate is, what average heart rate is, HRV, blood pressure. People don't know what these numbers are. They don't. These are arbitrary numbers for them at the end of the day. Um, yes, we can provide some context, but it's still not something that's easy to comprehend and, and implement in your day-to-day life. So what we're doing is, and my team and I are all data science backgrounds, uh, specifically for health data. So we've been working on identifying um, things like circadian day rhythm, so individual circadian rhythms, hunger rhythms, um, fitness level assessments. There's all these amazing, cool things you can do with wearable data that actually put things in context in a people's day-to-day life. So you wake up, you see things that you never knew your wearable actually could, outputs that you never knew your wearable could actually come up with. And that's how you get people to find excitement in wearables instead of just that short-lived excitement of, oh, I'm tracking my steps, you know, I'm tracking my sleep. Great. After some time, that becomes boring. There's nothing exciting about that. There's a lot of people trying to um, incentivize use with, you know, monetary rewards and other things. And I think those things have a place, but I do think there's a big, big health literacy thing that we can bridge, especially even more so for people with, uh, you know, lower income um, that haven't had the chance to grow up in a, in a situation where, you know, understanding their heart rate and HRV and blood pressure and all that kind of stuff was taught from a young age, or even, you know, what's a good nutritional, uh, when should you eat? What, what's the, what's the impact of eating sugar late at night? All those kind of things. Right. It's just, just telling the story better. You yeah. know, it's like you said, like it's, it's almost 
and I'm thinking about the wearable information we back in the back in the day, like when it was just Fitbit or whatever. It was like, you know, I got my my 10,000 steps and it said I slept six hours a day, but what do I do with that? That's I mean, that's yeah. great. Or I slept my it got my eight hours in, but it wasn't putting the pieces together as far as okay. And someone like like we've been talked who has the privilege of understanding the data of okay, I know I slept six hours and I know that I overate my calories because probably my sleep has something to do with that or my whatever. Mm -hmm. I can make those adjustments, but some people may not understand to make those adjustments or even know what adjustments to make. And and the the interesting thing you said there may not understand is also if you don't understand, despite the desire to change, and and I, I think inherently like everyone wants to be healthy. I don't, I don't really think everyone's like, I want to be unhealthy. I don't care. You know, like people may like, you know, different types of foods and they may not enjoy working out, but I think inherently everyone wants to be healthy. But I think you also see that many people get discouraged when they try to get healthy, whatever healthy means for them. Right. They don't understand why something isn't working. And that's where personalization matters so much. And that's where making a right decision consecutively or like understanding how to get back on track is super important. There's so many people that give up. You know, because, you know, like, oh, I did everything right. I thought, you know, like this, this one size fits all plan. It didn't work out. Now what? And uh, yeah, I, I think we have so much data in our, um, in our hands. Um, there's so many new health data sources coming uh, in, over the next three, four years. It's, uh, we're going to be able to do so many exciting things with just the data we collect passively. Passively is, the, is that's the dream. Like you, you don't need the person to actually give you information. Do you feel like that passive data is the most important data? Because I feel like some of that passive stuff that we're that we do plays a huge role in in, in our overall health. The things that we're we're not thinking about. I think fundamentally, humans have uh, there's 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 a, f- a flaw in us giving you know subjective feedback, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You'll see people go to a psychiatrist or psychologist. They may say something, but that's not really. The, the, every single piece of like, maybe, maybe they say they sleep well, but in reality, they don't sleep well, right? Subjectivity plays a huge part in how you give feedback to healthcare professionals. Like you tell your health coach, right? Like in your case, like you have someone come and say, oh, I've been eating perfect every day. Really? Like, do, do we mm-hmm. know? But it, it becomes as the integrity of the data improves and as the user experience improves, I think it becomes a much better source of truth that we can evaluate what's working and what's not working. So I definitely think it's, it's, it's a big piece. And I think you know, you don't have the thing of forgetfulness and prioritization. Like people don't have to think about it in their lives. Oh, let me measure my blood pressure. Let me measure my heart rate. It's constantly happening. Um, and you can understand nuances in your life that you didn't understand before that, you know, that were imp- influencing like your stress levels, your sleep, what, what was influencing it? George. So, you know, when we, we talk about wearables and like, I guess I have, I have an Apple watch and for a lot of people that I serve, I may get like, well, I can't afford that. You know, can you talk a little bit about access for wearables for, for all people? Yeah. So I like to say that we're probably about 1% where this scales into the future. Um, if you think of mobile, it was only 15 years ago that mobile really took off. So imagine the world right now without mobile, like who doesn't have a mobile phone and then, you know, smartphone even, right? Um, now imagine what the wearable industry will look like 10 years into the future. We're looking at wearable growth numbers that are faster than what mobile was, you know, a decade ago. So Apple, Google, Amazon, they're all 
telling them their on their earnings calls that this is like the one of their most important categories. Um, we're looking at a doubling of wearable shipments in the next two years. So we're looking at like in the next five five to six years, everyone's going to have a wearable. It's not going to be a question of access. They're going to be cheaper. They're going to be more potent. Um, and it's just a matter of you know putting that to use for everyone. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine not having my my cell phone and just putting it in that perspective is is crazy because from the the person with the least resources to the most resources they they have a cell phone and imagine how many things you can do today just enabled because of that cell phone right that you couldn't do 15 years ago absolutely that that's amazing i'm really interested in in ai within the healthcare um, industry or, you know, the healthcare system, how do you see AI, you know, outside of wearables and the things that we can, we can do? What is that? What is the future of AI in healthcare in, in your opinion? Outside of wearables? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Again, that's, that's something I, 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 I have a general idea, but I, I haven't played too much. I haven't tinkered too much with that data, but I do understand that one of the biggest challenges is uh, just having a common uh, framework of, you know, um, labeling the data. Uh, that's a big source of frustration. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, you have doctor notes. You have all these different mm-hmm. types of data sources, right? And there's common standards that are coming in play. There's um, there's data mining, you know, for, for text notes and all that kind of stuff. But it's really hard. Um, that's, well, that's one of the challenges. So creating a common framework, a lot of efforts around the world, uh, and it, it worked on, on and especially in the United States, trying to uh, get that to happen. The other, the, the other issue is, uh, the identification and anonymization of data. So it's one of those things where it's great to anonymize and de-identify for preserving patient uh, privacy, but at the same time, to an extent that is hampering the ability to, to create, you know, better models and, um, yeah, there's there's people in the health health AI community that are you know uh, trying to find alternative ways to to de-identifying uh, so that we can improve the ability to to find patterns and um, uh, and then the third thing is I think um, uh, just finding um, underst- I, I just think there's more studies that we need to do to understand in what areas can EMR data be used uh, mm. to actually identify. Uh, patterns and 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 improve uh, outcomes and th- there's there's a lot of projects out there um, uh, to understand like there's anything from like to which point did the care start like how early did the per- person come how long did they have to wait to get an appointment there's just all these there's all these sources of friction that are being uh, identified and then including to pre-existing conditions genetic conditions uh, how do you like one one example is uh, um genetic um, uh, cholesterol it's called cholesterolemia so identifying there's it's potentially one to one of four people in the united states have some form of genetic uh, uh, cholesterol so identifying the precursors to that or the lifestyle related um, data points that we're tracking in you know just normal medical visits to understand who should go and do a, a few um, a follow-up test to identify so there's there's all these cool um preventive uh, especially things that I, I'm, I'm excited about that we can do, but it requires a lot of coordination and, and, and a lot of data sharing. That's, that's a challenge. Right. And, you know, c- going back to the wearables a little bit, George, you know, I was just sitting here thinking about, so we have, you know, watches, we, you know, I have my, my, my handy app, my Apple watch here. We got Withings, we have 
rings, you know, there, there are so many different types of wearables and they all say that they provide the most accurate, best data. Right. <laughs> right. So where, where's the truth that, you know, is, is there a such thing as is, does the ring have the best data or someone who's looking to, you know, find a wearable to improve their health? Where should, where should they start or what should they be looking at? Yeah. Good question. I think the cool thing with having rings and having something like the whoop that doesn't have a screen and then having an Apple watch that has more functionalities and just health tracking, it gives people the chance to de- decide what, what makes sense for them. We have different price points. You know, the whoop is now, you know, a monthly based subscription, whereas the Apple watch is, you know, as a pretty expensive upfront investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's one side there, which you have to figure out what fits in your lifestyle so that you wear it the most. Right. Like, I think that matters to an extent, because if you're if you're getting a wearable with the intent of wearing it sometimes a day, you're not going to get the best outcome. Um, so but when then when it comes to finding the wearables that have, you know, like the Garmin, for example, has yeah. a better sampling rate, that, a better heart rate sampling rate than the Apple Watch. The Apple Watch takes several seconds to sample a heart, a heartbeat, whereas the Garmin does it almost every second, I think. So there's situations like that where that continuity of data that breaks is, is way more valuable coming from a Garmin than an Apple Watch. Um, the Apple Watch, though, um, has things like, you know, pre-existing uh, activities. So maybe the user experience gets you to track more information. So it really depends on, I think, the person matters a lot. Um, some wearables, you know, like, um, like the Aura Ring have temperature tracking, which is a pretty interesting data point. Uh, especially with COVID, you know, we we saw that it was a, a a way to identify COVID. And actually, in my case, I ended up uh, uh, I saw the day before my temperature was rising out of norm, and before I even experienced the symptoms, I, I you know I, I realized I was going to be hit with COVID the next day. Wow! Yeah. So so it was it, you know it, to an extent like there's these subtle things that happen in our life day to day that wearables can pick up that we're just not aware of. Like we have our life going on. And that's the cool thing of preventive, that we can see these subtle changes and not send them to healthcare professionals, right? Like we're not saying that people should be their own doctors, right? Right. Uh, But we can alert, hey, something's off. Maybe you should get this checked. Right. It's that, it's that constant, it's almost like that constant health coach with you. Like there's always someone there to, to check to see how you're doing, where you're at. Hey, this is a little bit off and you can kind of make that decision for yourself on, okay, do I, do I schedule that appointment with my doctor or do I do X, Y, or Z? And and it doesn't necessarily mean, so, so I think there's a place for automated AI health coach, right. Mm -hmm. But there's also very, very close interconnected how the human element comes in. Right. So um, Mm -hmm. number one, there's people who prefer AI versus uh, human, right. There's, there's both sides. So, so. In trying to improve outcomes, we need to find a way to satisfy both people. So maybe natural natural introverts may feel more comfortable not interacting with someone on a day-to-day basis. Um, so the second thing, though, is that as a health coach, understanding this information, having constantly available, we have we have a lot of health coaches, nutritionists, uh, fitness trainers who are using bases for their own clients because they want to have a way to, to better understand on a day-by-day basis how to make their decisions better and easier for their for their uh, clients. So I think there's a there's a place in an ideal world AI and humans are are working very interconnectedly interconnectedly to do the thing that no human wants to do which is data processing. 
right. Just the word data processing sounds just, it's exhausting. It's mentally yeah. exhausting just thinking about it. So like, let somebody else do it. And especially if you have multiple clients and ideally you have, you know, dozens, hundreds of clients, right? So how are you going to do that? Like, there's no way, like you're not, you're not going to, you, you can't charge for that. The, the economic yeah. model doesn't make sense from the, from the client side. So it's a, it's a way to enable everyone to get better outcomes. You have happier clients, they get better outcomes. You know, the AI does its job and, and, and uh, naturally that hopefully fits in together. Right. So what are some other wins that you feel like that you've um, heard from other users of, of basis? Like what are some things that you're excited about that you're doing now that you feel like is just going to change how we, we see preventative care now? Yeah, we're we're not f- super focused on healthcare outcomes yet. Uh, we're still on the wellness and kind of like oh, gotcha. They uh, yet so at this stage, um, but things like you know this circadian rhythm piece. Um, being people are telling us they're deciding their day based on when they have their most energy now. So um, and basis inherently has this function where we you can allow us to automatically plan your ideal times for working out, for eating, um, you know, going to sleep. So we have a lot of people using that. Um, and we're creating accountability by booking things on their calendar. So we know already that putting something on your calendar is much more likely that you do it. We're blocking the time. So just behavior change, right? Like we're creating behavior change, but instead of it just being every day at 7 p.m., I'm going to go. Uh, it's something where it has um, it has some biological functionality. So let's say you didn't sleep as well yesterday. Maybe we'll cancel the workout because your body is just not ready to work out. Mm. Um Maybe, maybe um, something shifted or maybe you just have a bunch of meetings until 6.30 p.m. Is it realistic you're going to go be in the gym at 7? Probably not. So there's a push that happens there. So natural, there, there's a lot of natural things that happen that make, that's why it's, auto, you know, health planning on autopilot in a way, is that we're making all those decisions with the minimal, with the least friction uh, for you to, to like go and look at your data. Um, we're seeing a lot of people understand uh, connecting the dots between working out and eating times um, mm. and and sleeping. So, for example, so for some people, it's better for them to work out in the morning. Others, it's better to work out in the evening. Um, right. It has a different outcome on their sleep. So people are making decisions to optimize their day around that. And, um, yeah, there's, there's just a number of things that, that, you know, different different users are identifying in their life. Um uh, understanding that hunger rhythm. So I, I mentioned that I think that was, it sounded like it was something uh, maybe you haven't heard of before, but it, you know, naturally throughout the day, your hunger, it just progresses. It's, it's actually, there's some synchronicity with the circadian rhythm. So throughout the day, your, your hunger increases um, all the way through to your evening peak. So like the, the, your second kind of energy spell of the day, let's say for someone that might be until 8 PM, and then it starts going down again. So naturally, people aren't as hungry in the morning, but they're more hungry during nighttime. So that helps you like really think about, understand why, even if you try to eat healthy, like if you try to eat small portions, why you're in the night, you might still be hungry. Right. So this is even so. Yes. And you're correct. When you said that, I was like, wow, that sounds pretty, really interesting. So this information is given even without someone tracking their calories. It just kind of goes off of their their rhythm or whatever wearable they're using? Correct. So, so the rhythm things like, you know, uh, we're using um, for, for different models, we use things related to sleep, your activity levels, your heart rate. Um, this are, you know, the, the sleep thing is you look at different days when you wake up, when were you more rested? So you look at HRV, you look at resting mm-hmm. heart rate, you look at um, the, the user's real activity levels. Um, so we don't need calorie levels. Um, 
we're creating a rhythm model. So yes, people may eat a much bigger meal and that may change their, you know, may, might make them more, uh, increase their satiety. Um, and there's other things that influence ghrelin and, you know, leptin, like the hormones. Right. Uh, but, you know, to an extent like that rhythm is there. Now you can influence that with different things that you do in the day, like your circadian rhythm, you can influence it if you're drinking crazy coffee all day. Right. Right. Um, and Red Bulls and, you know, everything, but to an extent that information allows you to, to understand what your body is naturally trying to do. Um, and, 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 and we think that that information is super empowering. Um, on, on understanding continuously what your fitness level is, right? You know, one minute and three minute, uh, you know, heart rate recovery uh, um, uh, data. So there's all these interesting things that we can do passively from the same data you're already collecting uh, to apply in your life. Yeah, I feel like I know. I've, I mean, for me, I've been talking a whole lot about um, your what you do from the aspect of like your average person. But I feel like this information would be great for an athlete. You know, me or, you know, someone who's maybe in their preseason workouts, you know, have you kind of thought about that or what is that? Or have you, you have athletes using this already? Yeah. I mean, uh, all our team was ex-athletes. I, I, did, uh, <laughs> I was a sprinter and a triathlete. So uh, uh, Nick on the team was a, a national tennis player. Uh, you know, all, everyone on the team has had some kind of athletic background and we're speaking with uh, collegiate teams uh, first. And uh, we haven't gone down the r- route of professional teams yet. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting information there. The one thing uh, with athletes is that you know um, that that data is interesting, but to an extent, uh, you can't personalize things too much if people are working together as a team, right? So like you you can't um, if you're if you're an Olympic athlete doing an individual sport, it's perfect, right? Right. Um, you know when I was when I was playing on a basketball team at some point, like, you know, I couldn't say, you know what, this is not my peak energy time. Like I need to come back later. <laughs> <laughs> time out coach. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's super empowering. I mean, if you look at Olympic athletes who are natural uh, early birds and they're doing early races, they do better than, you know, athletes that are, you know, um, night owls and, you know, their peak is naturally later because your body is just in a different energetic state. So there's, there's all these things that actually have to do with athletic performance and what your biological kind of rhythms are. Right. Right. That's, that's super. It's, I mean, it's almost, it's almost, I'm almost kind of jealous. You know what I mean? It's like all this great stuff is happening and I'm washed up. Like I haven't played sports in a very long time, but it's like, man, I wish I, when I was running track in college, I wish I had something like this or, you know what I mean? But me too. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, hey, just you no know, carb load the night before and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, to be honest, I think collegiate. Um, so so I had some pretty good guidance, but it was, again, one size fits all. Like, you know, they right. were telling us, you know, if you eat this way, it's better for you if you do this workout. But there was no factoring in that I sleep. Well, I was going on four hours of sleep many times and doing like four hours of training the next day. So I ended up having injuries, you know, like that, that's injury prevention right there. So there's so much stuff that we do and it's almost like we're driving in blind and now we have this potential and we haven't even talked about like 10 years from now, implantable where implantable wearable technology might be the, the better source. So like, you don't even have to think about battery life. Uh, it's like super long form, uh, much better in data integrity. So there's, um, yeah, I, I think, I think as humans, we can elevate our performance so much with with the data that we're collecting on a continuous level. Um, 
and we can, you know, some people, they'll be doing it for athletic performance. Uh, some people will be doing it for improving their, you know, focus, you know, being able to be more productive. Other people will have to do it to prevent uh, chronic illness or to manage chronic conditions, right? Um, so it's, um, I, I'm super bullish on on what, what we do over the next decade with, you know, wearable data, especially. Absolutely. As, as humans, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and my, my last question here, and you kind of um, brought it up a little bit is, you know, personal, personalizing your data to what your specific goals are. So, you know, you said focus, right? And maybe someone who struggles with attention deficit or whatever the case may be, how can they, you know, how can they use the data from what I'm not saying how, but it sounds like they can use this data and get the information best for them to mm-hmm. show, okay, this is, these are your peak times of performance, I guess. Right. right. That makes yeah. sense? So, so uh, if, if you don't have inherent like ADD, right. So if you're someone that doesn't have ADD, you might find it easier to focus faster. You might find it easier to get away with um, doing productive work, even when you don't have a lot of energy, even when you didn't sleep as much, but what, what happens with like, you know, pre-existing conditions or comorbidities or whatever it is, is that they enhance, they accentuate any, any, any weakness, any performance weakness, any, any uh, wellness weakness. So someone who's, let's say bipolar, right. Um, they're much more prone to circadian rhythm abnormalities than someone who isn't. Um, so there's a person that has ADD to go back to that example, can actually increase the likelihood that they can actually focus if they focus on those energy hours. Um, and, of, and if they can improve uh, their consistency, um, so um, improving their sleep, understanding biologically how their body works can actually get them. And, and, you know, with the coaching piece is enabling them to increase how much energy time they have, enabling them to, to improve their sleep. And it's not just sleep. It's like exercising actually can help you with your productivity and focus. So understanding when to exercise, how much to exercise to get some kind of energetic outcome. Um, which you can then put to, folk, to, to productivity time. Um, all those things are, are things that are possible. Um, and yeah, it doesn't work for everyone. And that's where the, the, the back and forth has to come, where the user has to tell you this is you know, accurate or not accurate, and then you can make adjustments. Um, yeah, but uh, I, think, I think all those, um, um, any, any condition, any existing condition can be severely accentuated when you're not following an optimal path. Right, right. So having... You, you have the information, then you're able to create a strategy with that information to it, to improve your health outcome or um, whatever you're trying to improve to, to get, to get better. But that information allows you to, to get that, to improve that strategy. Correct. Correct. Yes. I mean, it, it, it helps you. I think there's so many things that we do that let's say I go and have coffee during my low energy time. It's not going to do much. It'll help, but it won't do as much as, you know, if I take it during a time where I'm, I'm you know, already coming up with energy. Um, if I'm uh, if I'm naturally kind of trying to fall asleep and I'm trying to stay awake and do productive work, I'm probably going to fail. So depending on any any situations like any ADD again that you might have, that might frustrate you. You might say, I just can't do it. So that completely changes your, your path in life, right? You're saying, right. I just can never focus. I can never get anything done. Whereas other people may may just do a better job of you know optimizing their times, and they can squeeze a lot more value out of those you know productive four or five hours every day. 
Um, awesome. Awesome. Well, George, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. You, I really appreciated it. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about you and what you're doing, where can they find you at? Uh, basishealth.io, uh, our website. So um, go there. You can. Uh, we're, we're launching on the App Store uh, this month. Uh, but for now, you can request early access and uh, um, you know get access to beta. You get a white glove service from our team, so a lot more customized feedback to understand your wearable data. And uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, George, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Um, and I'll have all that in the description of this episode when it goes live. So if anybody doesn't hear it, you know, it'll be in the description. But um, everyone, again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'll holler at you next time.